Thanks for joining us on the DDS Faith Podcast. Our prayer is that as we discuss what God has to teach us through His Word, we can all learn how to deepen, defend, and share our faith in Jesus Christ. Tonight, we've got a guest on with us. Uh, We've got Rabbi Eric Tokager, and uh, he is a Messianic rabbi. And I'm sure there's many listeners that uh, don't know what that is. So um, we're going to put Rabbi on the camera, and he's just going to explain a little bit about who, who he is and what he does. Go ahead, Rabbi. Okay, the simplest terms, a Messianic rabbi is merely a teacher or uh, what in churches would be considered a pastor or a uh, a minister that uh, leads congregations of Jewish people who believe in Yeshua or Jesus as the Messiah. So that's the the simplest explanation. Uh, I'm a Jewish person. I was raised uh, Jewish. My family is Jewish all the way back as far as... uh, record show and uh but i the age of 19 i became a believer in yeshua or jesus as the messiah and then i went to school and so on to become a rabbi so that's the short version of it yeah okay awesome so um messianic meaning the anointed one it's just the hebrew word for messiah uh, right. Me- or, yeah. Mashiach is the yeah. Hebrew word for Christios, <laughs> which means the anointed one. Yeah. Uh, so that's where it comes from. Yes. Cool. Now, you mentioned that you uh, you could trace your family back like you're legitimate. Um, you're, you're legitimately Jewish. Uh, do you know what tribe you're a part of? No. Okay. Uh, nobody really does. Now, the truth is there are groups that will sell you uh these DNA tests, the DNA tests will show whether you have Jewish background, but it doesn't really show tribe except for uh, the Kohanim or the priests. There's a genetic marker for that. Uh, but all the other tribes, there's no way to actually tell from DNA right now what tribe you're from. Gotcha. Okay. Did you have something, Eli? No. Oh, you just looked like you had something. No, I okay. was like trying to hold in a yawn. All right. <laughs> All right, so it's I was bo- I bored you already. <laughs> um, so tonight in this episode, yeah, there you go. Thanks. There you go. <laughs> he knew what I was gonna say. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the Passover feast and the holiday that Christians like to celebrate, which is Easter. And um, I know one of the things that uh, that frustrates me as a Christian is just that. They almost, most Christians almost say that, oh, their beginning started with Jesus, the New Testament. Like, you know, Christianity started 2,000 years ago versus, you know, really we're just, we're, I wouldn't even call us an extension of Judaism. We're just, we're all one. Like, it's just, that's just all part of it. Um, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about Passover because I think there's a lot of people that miss Um a lot of the things that we see in the Bible, um, you know, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And as Christians, you know, we take the Lord's Supper, we take the bread and we take, well, what we do is grape juice. Um, but I kind of want Rabbi to give us kind of a rundown of why should we, why should we celebrate the Passover instead of, uh, instead of Easter? 
Um, well, I can tell you that for me, understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua or Jesus is impossible without understanding why those things matter. Uh, we can call it anything we want to, but the reality is that God established these feast days from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, we're told that he established the signs uh, the, the stars, the sun, the heavenly bodies in order to establish, and in most Bibles it says uh, appointed times or seasons, rather, and, and the, but the word is moedim, which means appointed times. He established times so that he could establish the appointed times. Then he established the appointed times as precursors or rehearsals for the coming of Messiah. So when you take away those signs, it makes it difficult to find the Messiah and understand who and what he did. So, for instance, the fact that he died on a cross at a certain time only makes sense if you put it into the context of the Passover and that he died at the same time that the Passover lamb died on that day at that hour. When the high priest, or when Yeshua said, it is finished, it was the same time that the high priest in the temple would have said, it is finished at the culmination of the Passover sacrifice. All of these events were there so that the Jewish people, and ultimately the non-Jewish people who followed them, would be able to identify the coming of Messiah and recognize who he was. And so these days are, are important, so important after, uh, that the Lord said these were to be eternal celebrations or observances, and that these observances would go on for forever. And yet in the body of Messiah among believers today, very few of them actually celebrate these days that God said, these are my holy days, these are my appointed times. Uh, and if he's your, you know, they're feasts of the Lord, if he's your Lord, then they're your feasts also. Right. And the church will very much celebrate things that aren't uh, commanded or expected, and yet not do the ones that are. Yeah. So with the Passover, um, I think that was that was excellent uh, of how you explained that. Um, I know one thing with the Passover uh, when I was when I was younger and really early in ministry, I got a little confused between the what is the Passover exactly? Okay, yeah, we know about it from the Old Testament. We see. Um, you know, the Jews, they make the exodus out of Egypt. And um, uh, before all, before that happens, you know, the, the plague, God, God sends the plagues. And then finally, um, he does the last plague, which is where the firstborn son of each household is going to be, um, is going to die. Unless they have the blood of the lamb on their door. Now, I know most Christians have heard this. Everybody gets that part. Okay, great. But I don't think they understand what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is and how long Passover actually is. Like, I think a lot of Christians think, oh, yeah, it's a whole day, you know. Um, but there's more to the Passover than that. I wanted to see if you could shed a little light on that. Well, absolutely. Passover is actually just about three hours long. We think about the Passover feast, which it's now called and understood to be, but the actual Feast of Passover is only between 3 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan. So it's the time period between the, the afternoon offering 
and the evening offering, which is when the Passover lambs were sacrificed. As soon as sun goes down or sunset, then we begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days long. And so you have the, the first day through the eighth day of Passover. And then in the middle of that, on the day that Yeshua would have resurrected, which was not a Sunday, but the day of Yom Habikarim or first fruits, which is the day of the first fruits, which happens to be the same day he resurrected. So all of these events that happened during this, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, all happened at the times when the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Passover were taking place uh, perfectly aligned with the events of Passover. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's incredible just, you know, how God knew every single bit that was going to happen. I mean, Jesus, so Jesus died on Passover, is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay, so Jesus died on Passover, and then once he died, they take him off the cross, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts. And then about three days later, we've got the period of the first fruits. Now, what, what are the first fruits? Like, what, why is that a part of the feast? What does that mean? Why does it matter that he died on Passover and rose again on the first fruits? Sorry. <laughs> um, because it said he would be the first fruits of the resurrection. It's, it's connected to that. Uh, but first fruits is the first fruits of the barley harvest, and it's the beginning— we have to remember, and this is another thing that, that isn't taught in uh, Christianity often, is that there's only two biblical seasons. There's the spring season and the fall season. Uh, we have four seasons on the Greek calendar and the Roman calendar, but in the Hebrew thought and Hebrew calendar, there's only the spring season and the fall season. So in the spring season, you have Passover, unleavened bread, which includes Bikarim or first fruits, and then you have Pentecost, which happens on the fiftieth day from the counting of the high Sabbath of Passover, and then you have the season of summer that goes on in, in our time, but it's not actually called a season biblically. And then you have Yom Teruah or Feast of Trumpets. You have Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and then you have Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. So these are like mirror images of events that happen, and two sides of the same coin, so to speak. So you have spring till uh, from Passover to Shavuot or Pentecost, and then from Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot or Tabernacles. And each of those are eight-day feasts, Passover and then uh, Sukkot is a eight-day feast. So spring begins with an eight-day feast, and ends with the blowing of the shofar, which is what we hear when God sounds from the mountain and the Bible says there was a great trumpet that sounds. So it starts with the eight-day feast and ends with the trumpet sounding. And then the fall, we have the trumpet sounding and it ends with the eight-day feast. So it's the two sides of the same coin, so to speak, of the events that lead us in this cycle of life, because Biblically, we work in a circle, not in a linear, not in a straight line. So everything is circular and renews itself. So these days were there and established so that we would understand that the first part was fulfilled and the second part will be fulfilled. Right. So what I like about this, and I'm hoping you guys got some questions here in a minute, um, 
But how cool is it that Jesus died specifically on Passover and specifically rose on the period of the first fruits? Something that happened, I mean, a difference of, you know, a few thousand years. Uh, yeah, the lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world doesn't make sense outside of the context of Passover. Right, exactly. Like, what do you mean he's the lamb? You know, what does that mean? And, you know, you see the lamb in Passover in Exodus whenever we we first learn about it. You know, and then Moses gives a, a more detailed of what you're supposed to do. Now, so Jesus died on Passover, but then you also have Jesus' Last Supper. So what was that? The, the Last Supper is a Seder meal. It's the, a meal that's still done today in Jewish homes all around the world as Jewish people gather together on the uh, evening of the 14th of Nisan. And they have this whole meal that you go through that uh, initially was just lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Now we have extended that to handle have other things that are involved in it that tell the story of the Passover, which ultimately tells the story of the Messiah, because we have the four cups of wine, which talk about Messiah. We have the uh, the three pieces of matzah that are used uh, to tell the story of, of the matzah, tell the story of Israel, tell the story of Messiah. Uh, each of these different aspects come to us that express the story of Messiah in a full and, and really meaningful way uh, in Judaism. So every Jewish family that does Passover and does a Seder, goes through all these aspects of the Passover supper, and when we look at it, we see Yeshua in every part of it. You know, Yeshua picks up the third cup of wine and says, I will not drink again of the wine until it comes to fullness in my Father's kingdom. That's the cup of redemption, uh, which takes place just before he gives his life for us. Um, these things are, are really meaningful to believers, but they're lost uh, it's like the Jewish people have them, but don't fully understand them. And the people that believe in Yeshua or Jesus don't under, don't have them, but underst would understand them if they saw them. Yeah, um, and I'll just speak. When I was growing up in church, and I think this is still true of a lot of Christian churches today, the Easter season is mainly Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Right. And if Passover is mentioned, it's just, you know, if they're reading the passage about uh, the Last Supper, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and then they move on to the rest of the events of that of Friday and uh, Sunday. And there was a church, the first church that I served when I graduated college, we had a pastor there who... Um, for the Good Friday, instead of having a regular Good Friday service, he wanted to have. He said, "No, we're going to do a Seder yeah. meal," which um, <laughs> some of the the old guard was like, "What? What, what do you What do you mean?" Yeah, and um, it was one of the most meaningful events or you know services that mm -hmm. we had had. And um, you know, do we have time? Can you kind of walk us through? Um, the parts of the of the meal and how that because there's some awesome parallels there between mm -hmm. what God established when He set up Passover originally and how that just parallels the the story of Christ's death, burial, and 
resurrection. He mentioned briefly the, the cup of redemption, but there's so much more. Like every part of that meal right. relates some way back to... The cup that... The, which I think what you're getting at is the, the cup that Jesus took uh, when he's, and he says, you know, hey, take this. This is my body. This is my blood. Right. He was at the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. Is that right, Rabbi? Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I just think this is so cool because the Bible's already got it set up. Right. Why do we have to add outside sources to, to, to bring it in? But, it, like, you at, at that time, looking around in the... The fellowship hall we're at, it's almost like you could see the light bulbs go off over yeah. people's heads. Like, oh. And it makes so much sense. We get it. Like, it's so much deeper. Right. But can you still do, like, Easter egg hunts and stuff? <laughs> go away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, let me let me hit on the Easter egg thing uh, for just a minute. So my, my family doesn't do Easter. Like, we, we just call it Resurrection Sunday. You know, we, we may call it Passover. Um we don't like to call it Easter because of the background that it has. And I mean, you got eggs and rabbits and it, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into this of uh, all how it's just a pagan holiday and all that stuff, but cause it's, cause it's not just a pagan holiday. You know, we, we adopted some of the things and part of the Easter bunny is goddess of fertility, you know, and so rabbits and then eggs. Oh, we did the same thing with Christmas. It's oh, yeah. the Catholic church trying to appease you know, or, Make it easier for pagans to convert. Well, I mean, and just, we've just adopted it over the years. You see the same thing. How many churches, you know, will put on programs and things just to get people in the door? Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so, so Rabbi, if you would, uh, could you explain to us like what each of the three cups are and just some of the significance? Um, before I do, I thought it'd be uh, fun to talk about two other things, if you'll let me. One is... Yeah, go for it. Uh, I'm, a, I'm assuming that all three of you can count to three. <laughs> yes. Some days are harder than others. <laughs> okay, I know. Well, I mean, you can take your socks off if you have to. But, <laughs> uh, but there's no way to count three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. Right. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. And <laughs> the problem isn't so much in the counting as it is in uh, Christians trying to follow the Bible using the Greco-Roman calendar instead of the Hebrew calendar. So let me, so, let, me let me touch on that before you jump into that. So um, understanding the difference in the calendar we use today and the calendar that the Jews would use is, and this is very simple, our day ends at 12 o'clock at midnight theirs ends at sundown like it's the when sun goes down like right now it's wednesday you know so it's uh 8 57 uh according to us it's 8 57 on two uh, on, on tuesday but the jewish calendar it would be the next day already mm. is that right rabbi correct the sun the day begins at sunset and ends at sunset so when you're counting days it that's how you count it and then it counts by, uh, the calendar goes by, for instance, on Passover, it's the 14th of Nisan. Now, it doesn't matter what day of the week on the Greco-Roman calendar that is, because the Greco-Roman calendar isn't the calendar the Bible goes by. It goes by the Hebrew calendar, which is a solar lunar calendar, which also takes into uh, consideration agriculture. But I don't want to get too much in the weeds on that, but understand <laughs> that Yeshua died on the 14th of Nisan. 
uh, before the sun went down. So there's a day, and then the sun goes down, and it's night. And then we have day, and then night, and then day, and then night. So there's no way you can have three days and three nights, which the Bible says you have to have. It says he'd be in the ground three days and three nights. It's There's no question about how that works between Friday and Sunday. But there is between, if you go by the 14th of Nisan, which would have been on a Wednesday, then you have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and a resurrection that happens early in the day. And remember, early in the day does not mean 5 o'clock in the morning. Early in the day in Jewish thought, is five or six o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening because a day starts in the evening. Right. So when you think about it, he would have resurrected sometime after sundown on the, uh, the end of the 17th, the 16th going into 17th of Nisan. So, so what you're saying there, is the only way that the whole three day Jesus, um, uh, dead, uh, Death and resurrection was three days. Is if you go by the Jewish calendar, it makes no sense for us because I mean, right? They, it does. You're basically yeah, saying, if you try to go with Good Friday through yeah. Sunday morning resurrection, you cannot come up with three days. <laughs> right. Well, nights. you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but if you die, if he died on Friday night and rose again on Sunday morning, well, that's not three days, <laughs> right? And you also have to remember that. He died on a high Sabbath. You know, they had to get him off of the cross because it was a high Sabbath. John tells us that. And then... What's a high Sabbath? There's a, hmm? What's a high Sabbath? The, the high Sabbaths are the extra holy days like Passover, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Shavuot, uh, the first day and last day of Sukkot, the first day and last day of Passover are high Sabbath. So you have Passover that is from the 14th to the 15th of Nisan, but as soon as the sun goes down, it begins the high Sabbath. So remember, he's on the cross, and they come and tell him, we have to get him down and get him buried because it's about to be Sabbath. Well, it wasn't the weekly Sabbath. It was the Sabbath of the high Sabbath, according to the book of John. So then if it was Wednesday, and then you have Thursday that comes, and then you have Friday that comes, and then you have the resurrection that happens uh, at the end of Saturday— you have the Friday there that they can go shopping for spices. Remember, the women go shopping for spices so right. they can prepare his body. But that can't happen on a Friday through Sunday scenario, because if Friday is the day of execution, then as soon as the sun goes down, it's Saturday. You can't buy the spices on Saturday because they didn't do business on Saturday. Then you have Sunday resurrection. There's no time to buy the spices. So there, there's a lot of reasons that go into the understanding of this. And, and it may seem like something that's all not all that uh, important, but it was important enough for the Bible to mention it. Yeah. There, there's so many things that aren't in the Bible that weren't written, that if something is written, it's written for a purpose. And that purpose was that the times of his death, burial, and resurrection— would take place at the appointed times that God established from the foundation of the earth so that Jewish people would see those signs and recognize their Messiah. Uh, when, when I was a kid, I lived in South Florida, and we used to take road signs down. I, I know you guys never did that <laughs> as young people, but, but we, would, we would take road signs down and hang the signs in our, in our bedrooms and stuff as decorations and, and all that stuff. So, well, if 
if you're driving somewhere and someone says drive to First Avenue and you're driving along and there's no sign that says First Avenue, you may still find where you're going to, but it's a lot more difficult to find. <laughs> and unfortunately, right. many people within the Christian church have made it very difficult for Jewish people to find their Messiah because they've removed the road signs that lead to him oh, for man. Jewish people. Mm. We're not even we're not even hitting on that, but that's 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 so true because yeah. like we don't actually make the connections for Jews because they look at Jesus and the way that Christians look at the Trinity, you know, with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They see it as paganism because it's it's polytheism. It's like you have three gods. Like they don't understand that. It's because of the way we explain it because we don't ex- we don't we don't connect the Old and the New Testament right. as well as we should. Not even close. Well, there's a big disconnect right. with a lot of Christians. I mean, we've talked about it before, how a lot of Christians say, okay, we have the New Testament, so the Old Testament is rendered right. null and void now that we have the New Covenant. But it's like, no, yeah, and we have to read the whole piece. <clears throat> well, we have this weird concept of like the Old Testament is like the old law, yeah. like unapplicable. <laughs> It says old, yeah. so it's it's useless. Yeah, so it doesn't, ap- except, doesn't apply except now. Except for tithing. It seems like tithing. We only need the, test, the Old Testament to cherry pick the things that we want, like yes. tithing. We need our money, guys. <laughs> or we forget about like the ra- – like I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, like through the, yeah. this year, and like, man, God – like he, like yeah. you know, anytime they were doing something like lying one time, or turning around looking back, salt, and it's mm-hmm. like you know that's not really seen in the New Testament as much, but there is like you like you guys said there is a big bridge between the Old Testament and New Testament, and like I'm a result of being failed to. A failure to be taught that. A, a failure of discipleship. Right. As you're looking at this concept of the Old Testament, New Testament, and, and like uh, was just said, you know, in the Old Testament, there was this God who, when somebody did something, he, you know, zapped them. But just think about the people that said they sold their property in the New Testament yep. and, and didn't give the, the full fire. amount. Yep. That was an instant zap. Okay, and then when you read the book of Revelation, <laughs> smite. I love that which, you said it's which has I like the word smite, which has a lot of which has a lot of the same kind of stuff. So, the the idea that there was this ogre, mean spirited God of the Old Testament that mm. had no grace, uh, and he suddenly, like two thirds through the book, decided that he was going to start loving people <laughs> and giving grace, <laughs> is just really inaccurate when you consider. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh-huh. David found so much grace that God did not take his life, even though he was a murderer and a rapist. Yep. Okay. So so there was a tremendous amount of grace in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. The problem is that teachers today don't know or teach that, so it's easy to assume that suddenly God had a personality for uh, you know, he had a personality disorder, and he got on Ritalin. <laughs> he got he got fixed. He got on Ritalin. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. so so he mellowed out. You know, he had, he was this really violent kid who became a teenager, but then they got him on Ritalin, and he chilled out. And the New Testament, he was this well-behaved. You know, it's just ridiculous to think that way. But much of the Christian world actually mm-hmm. teaches that concept. 
Right. Well, you know, thank, thank, uh, I'm so glad God doesn't, you know, hate sin like he used to, you know. Uh, you know, I, I know, Rabbi, for me, um, I was recently, I, I just actually just finished the Torah today, the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, when you're reading Leviticus, and I've I, I mentioned this on, on uh, a previous episode, but the sacrifices and the things that they were told to do were so gruesome. And it would be something, I don't know, uh, I'm sure a rabbi could uh, pick, pick something that seems small, you know, and that God, you know, judged harshly. But there's a specific part where he tells them, put your head, I'm sorry, put your hand on the head of that goat and slit its throat. Like, that's a big deal. It's not like, okay, I'm going to go shoot this deer from really far away, you know, or <laughs> like... Oh, you had to get your hands dirty. Yeah, you had to get your hands dirty. And, and then there were kids that were there, too, that would see these sort of sacrifices. And, and what we need to understand as Christians is, you know, God is not more merciful than he was before. He's just not taking his particular wrath right now. He's waiting for that. You know, he he hates our sin. You know, and some people say, well, how could a good God allow people to go to hell? Like, couldn't he just change us and save us or whatever and it's like okay let's look at it this way how could a holy and perfect god stand to be around something mm -hmm. that's imperfect you know yeah i would actually contradict you okay. Wes. i hope yeah. this doesn't hurt your feelings no, too bad it doesn't. he I don't doesn't mind. have any feelings but <laughs> but but i think that we as you read the old testament you'll find that for di in different situations circumstances God judged righteously, but differently. Yes. And so yes. when you look at our world today and you see things that are happening around us, uh, the wars, the violence, the sickness, the destruction, the things happening, you'd be hard pressed not to see those things as God's judgment on sinful man. We just don't look at it that way because we're taught not to. Right. We're actually taught that God doesn't judge us today like he did in the Old Testament. Right. But if you look at the Old Testament, they had earthquakes that swallowed people up. Guess what's happening today? Earthquakes just killed a whole <laughs> bunch of people. Yeah. Um, you know, so tsunamis and, and disasters and things, sicknesses. I mean, how many people died over the last few years uh, due to COVID or various things associated with it but but we we're trained not to consider those things in the new testament period the same way we would look at those exact same things in the old testament and say that was god's judgment there but it's not now right and we have to be really careful that we don't you know when the bible talks about blaspheming god blasphemy is merely making his or changing the way his character and nature is so when, when we blaspheme god or we use his name in vain we tell people that he's different than he is or we demonstrate that he's different than he is in our minds and our hearts so when we tell people that the god of the old testament was one way but he's now the god of the new testament that actually contradicts the bible that says he's the same yesterday yep. today and forever and that he's immutable or unchangeable. He changes not. He can't change. That he judges the righteous and the unrighteous. That uh, that he is gives grace to those he or mercy to those he gives mercy and judgment to those he gives judgment. It's the same God in both parts of the book. 
we're just trained to look at it differently so that we can, in our minds at least, get away with the sins that we don't want to get rid of. Yeah, and you know, I think that concept is actually really scary, just that you you said um, about blaspheming God and just like misrepresenting him or, you know, what the, the thought that came to my mind was, how often have you heard people say, well, God wouldn't do that. God, that, that that's out, that's out of the character of God. You know, I, I think we need to be very, very careful. The one when I hear a lot that. is like, "Well, the God I worship would not yeah. do something like that." Uh-huh. It's like, mm. yeah. Well, we've also <laughs> we've also made Jesus out to be like the better version of God. Yeah, like Jesus in the flesh, like uh-huh. manifested, like dwelling among us, was just the loving part of God, and like the does. The wrathful side, like, stayed up in heaven, you know? <laughs> Which, like, Jesus is God. He's man and God. Yep. Same thing. But we've kind of made Jesus, like, more our friend and less of God, you know? Right. Which, is just like you said, is taking God in vain. Taking God in vain isn't just saying, like... It's not saying... Not saying, like, OMG. OMG, yeah. Yeah, you can <laughs> worship in vain. You can... Even when you're praising and not really... Th- thinking about it, not worshiping in your heart, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. Yep. Anytime you lessen the meaning of God and His name and His sovereignty, you're taking it in vain. Yeah. Right, and that goes back to this discussion about Passover, because God said, you'll keep this feast forever. And then we tell people, well, we don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Which, which, I mean, when you think about just how serious it is to say God was only kidding. Oh. <laughs> or or he know. didn't mean I don't it. have the bravery to say that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, when you think about it, and, and again, that's aside from doing additional things. You know, there, there's things that we do that are additional to what God would have us do. It's fine to do more than he says but it's not fine to do less than he says. And so, for instance, Passover has the four cups of wine, it has the bread, it has these things, and the Lord said, you'll do these. And Yeshua actually spoke the words that are printed on the altar or the uh, the communion table in churches all over the world that said, as oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But most of those churches never do what it is that he was actually doing when he said, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He was having a Passover Seder. He was observing the Passover. He was taking the Passover bread and drinking the Passover wine and saying, as often as you do this, the Passover, do it in remembrance of me. So what the church has done is said, we're not doing Passover. We're just going to eat bread and juice and we'll do it on Sunday or every fifth Sunday or twice a year or once, <laughs> once a year a or whatever, <laughs> right before depending the on meeting. what we want to do. Now, again, there's, there's no problem theologically or biblically with doing more. So if you want to drink some wine or grape juice, uh, I know you guys are Baptist, oh, so it's yeah. probably grape juice. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and, and have some bread and say, I'm doing this to remember what Yeshua did. That's perfectly fine as long as it's in addition to doing what he actually told us to do. You know, it's kind of like if you tell, if your dad leaves the house and says, look, before I get home, make sure you have your room clean. 
And then you go and clean the garage. <laughs> and then he comes home and you go, look, dad, I cleaned the garage. And he said, yes, but did you do what I told you to do? <laughs> You know, it's nice that you did something extra, but you can't really do extra if it has if you haven't done the first. <laughs> it's right. not really extra; it's just different. <laughs> right. It's and so, point. what we've done is we've taken what he commanded us and said we re- we don't want to do that. So we're going to reorganize it, restructure it, make it a little easier on us, change the meaning a little bit, and then call it communion and make it a new sacrament that's outside of the Bible. Because you won't find what the church does as communion inside the Bible. Matter of fact, in Corinthians, when it talks about, is this the communion that, I, that Yeshua died for? It talks about people having so much food, they're gluttonous, and so much wine, they're getting drunk. Mm. And, and I've never seen that happen with a little bitty two-ounce <laughs> cup of wine. Or, I mean, even if it's really wine, and a little you know cracker wafer. Nobody would say... You're being mean to the people of God by not sharing your lunch with them over a cracker and two ounces of, of grape juice. It's just significantly different. It's, it's unbiblical because it's not in the Bible, but it's not unbiblical to do it in addition to what the Bible says, as long as you do what the Bible actually says. When I was doing my master's, I actually wrote a paper on Passover, communion, Lord's Supper, uh, just there's a lot of different terms for it. And uh, one of the one of the questions that I asked was when he said, do this in a remembrance of me, what is this? What exactly did he mean? Well, you're, I think you're quoting like 1 Corinthians. Uh, I mean, it's like, what is it, 9 or 10? When he's get, like talking about the Lord's Supper and he's saying... Oh, uh, 11. Okay. That's what, is that what you're talking about? He was so close, though, Wes. <laughs> is that what you're talking you keep about? Keep guessing, you'll get it. Uh, well, no, Jesus actually says, do this in remembrance of me. Oh, she's talking like the upper room. Yeah, okay, upper cool. room. Jesus yeah. says, hey, hey, guys, do this in remembrance of me. Okay. Um, you know, and I, what is this? What What is this that he is talking about? Is he talking about, you know, that third cup of wine? Was it the, you know, all right, uh, here, drink this cup and eat this bread. Just this. Is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about the whole meal that they had? It's or, the feet washing. Or was he even saying, do this in remembrance of me? Was he saying, every single time you eat, every single time you have bread, every time you have juice, wine, whatever you want to call it, um, do that in remembrance of me. Remember me and remember what I'm about to do for you. You know, just consider that. Mm. I think, you know how we do like what we're used to until the guy quit doing social media? Uh, we used to post the quotes. <laughs> I think the quote for this episode should be, in the New Testament, that would be an instant zap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you've mentioned a couple of times the connection between Yeshua and Jesus or Joshua. Could you kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, there's two names in the Bible that were fundamentally changed when translating to English. Most names in the Bible, like Moses, is English for Moshe. It's just taking the Hebrew letters and bringing in as close in the English letters as possible. We call that transliterating. So we have, like, Yaakov becomes Jacob, and Moshe becomes Moses, and Miriam becomes Mary, and, and so on. But with the name Jesus, it goes from Yeshua, which is, we find that in Nehemiah and Ezra uh, in the Old Testament, the same name, 
And in the King James and other Bibles, it's translated J-E-S-H-U-A, or transliterated. But when that same name was brought into the New Testament, instead of transliterating it from Hebrew to English, they went from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to Germaic to English. (laughs) So as it went through all of those different stages, it changed from Yeshua, which is a a variant of Joshua or Yahoshua to Jesus. So, and, and in doing so, it actually loses its meaning because the name Yeshua actually means salvation. It's actually a Hebrew word that directly translates. Right. Or you shall name him Yeshua, for he shall save his people. It's a play on words in, in the language. Okay. But when you get to Jesus, Jesus by itself has no intrinsic meaning to that group of letters put in that form. Uh, it's it's five languages away from the original <laughs> language. The, the only other name in the New Testament that has a similar thing done is James. Uh, the book of James is actually the book of Jacob, because Yeshua's brother Jacob, or yeah. Yaakov, it calls him in Yaakov. Hebrew... <laughs> Uh, but it's it's made James in the New Testament. Now, James, it goes through a similar situation to get there, but it also has the uh, the emphasis on James connecting to King James, who wanted his name in the Bible, and that was a good way to do it. Now, So ja- Jacob can become James through the transliteration process, but it's not the normal way to get there. Right. Now I think uh, are you when you say that um, you know King James wanted his name in the Bible, is that speculation or do we have sources on that? Yes. Wait, to which which one? <laughs> I, that was, that was, you want fries or tater tots with that? And you said yes. <laughs> I said yes on purpose. There is uh, some translation evidence that puts it that King James wanted his name in the Bible. But there's debate about it. So it's not something that we can say for sure. But (laughs) what we can say is that that particular name was uniquely transliterated differently than every other name. And the person that paid for that to happen happened to be named James. (laughs) That's Yeah. (laughs) He got good. He has some decent evidence there. So, so that's why Yeshua, which means salvation, that's the name that Miriam and Yosef, his parents, would have called him. Uh, but let me say this, and I want it to, because this is important. If you're praying, you know, if you're driving down a hill and a car pulls out in front of you and you holler, Jesus, save me, God is not going to go, wrong name, buddy, <laughs> and you die. That's, that's not his nature and character, right? Are you sure? So, so, yeah, I am pretty sure. Hey, it says so, by no other name you're saved. That means you better know Yeshua or else. <laughs> right. So, so, but it is important that when you know what's right, you know, he that does knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. Right. So once you learn something, then you become accountable for what you know, and then it becomes willful 
choice oh, rather than dang. ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's his fault. He told us. Now so we're that, so now, we, now we can't share the gospel. We have like, learned yeah. now we're ruined. Thanks, Rabbi. I, I do what I can. I'm here to help. <laughs> I'm here to put more of a burden on you. Thanks. Wrong name, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong name, buddy. Sorry, you're Actually, here. All, I'm, all I'm trying to do is unload the burden that you <laughs> had placed on you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to make it lighter. Right. You know, my my load my yoke is easy, my burden is light. <laughs> so so just out of curiosity, like you won't say Jesus, like you'll say Yeshua. I I say Jesus all the time. Right. So like I just but when I'm teaching or something, I'll t- I'll use the Hebrew Yeshua, and then I'll let the people know that means Jesus. Okay. Uh, you know that's this is the person you know as Jesus. His name is Yeshua, and then I'll use Yeshua okay. because I know that that's what his name was. But I don't condemn mm-hmm. or or say that somebody is ungodly for using Jesus. It's just that that name has gone through such a transformation that it loses some of what it is, which part of that is that Yeshua was Jewish. He came from the tribe of Judah. He mm-hmm. was a Jewish king. He was the Jewish Messiah. He was, And if you take the Jewishness away, you end up with an open door for Greek um, translation, interpretation, and understanding. And then you miss stuff. You miss, you miss um, more right. context. Yeah, I'll give you an uh, yeah. example, and and I know you guys are not King James only because I listened to the podcast about that. <laughs> but if you do, you have a King James Bible with you? By I, any I try not Anybody? to. This one, <laughs> this is an NASB. I've got a box okay. of them in my van up at the top of the. Well, hill. I, I'm just saying the King James Bible because this links us back to Passover. The King James Bible in Acts twelve four. Uh, translates the Greek word pesca as Easter. It, it's the only place in the Bible the word Easter is, and it's only in the King James Bible that I'm aware of. There may be another one, but the one I'm aware of is King James. All other Bibles translate it Passover because it's the Greek word for Passover. It, it's the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Pesach. And we'll start um, at actually verse... Uh, Verse 1, just for context. Okay. Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword, and because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also, and were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him into prison, delivered him to four quaterns of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. All right, now what is your—just do that last part. Yeah, mine says um, squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Yeah, and, you know, it makes you wonder, why would they put Easter there when it's clearly Passover? Why would you— Easter is com- it's nowhere in the Bible. It's it's nowhere in in previous texts. When was so, the English word Easter even a thing? So I don't actually know the the full like etymology of it, but I know that it's um it's the goddess of it has to do with the goddess of fertility, which is I believe Ishtar. Is that right, Rabbi? Okay, actually, go go it, ahead. There's there's two thoughts on this. One is what Wes is saying that it comes from the goddess Ishtar. 
which is a pagan goddess of fertility and was worshipped at that time of the year. The other is that it's just the translation of Eastern, which is where the celebration saying it was the Feast of the Easterners. Uh, either one could be correct, and it really doesn't matter. The point is that the the King James Bible anachronistically inserts Easter into a text where it was Passover, and they did that purposely to take Passover out of that celebration. In other words, the, the purpose was we're replacing Passover with Easter so that when you think about this time, you'll think of Easter instead of Passover, and it's the de-Jewification of the good mm. news. So, like, really quick, because I want to, I want to clarify something. You know, if if you're reading the KJV, we're not we're not throwing shade on it. We're just being honest, and and this this is an issue. And if they did that with Easter, what else did they do it with? Right. Um, and we need to be very very careful about what we're reading. Um. I know there's going to be a lot of people that don't like that, you know. Yeah, King, King James is the it's the only inspired word of God that we have, you know, and um, and I get why people say that. I I think, um, but to say that you should throw it out, I would never say such a thing. But if 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 anybody would, <laughs> not that anybody's asking, but if anybody wants to know our preference on what you should be studying. It should probably be the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. That's the main one that they know. I know you got the Tree of Life Bible, Rabbi. Um, the Tree of Life Bible is actually really cool. It's um, uh, well, you know, why don't you just explain that, Rabbi? Tell tell them about the, the translation that you've got. Okay, the Tree of Life Bible is a Bible. First of all, there are only about six fully vetted Bible translations that exist, and when I say fully vetted, it means that more than one person looked at the text, translated the text, and worked together. More than just a couple of people in a room somewhere. Most Bible translations that you have, one person sat down, translated the Bible, and handed it out, and people accepted it as a translation. Uh, the King James is one of the vetted translations. The NASV is one. There, there's the, the ASV is one. There, there's some tr good, solid, vetted translation. In other words, somebody translated it, other people looked at it to make sure it was valid, correct, and, and so on. So the TLV is a, a Bible. It was translated by Messianic Jews and uh, Gentiles to work together to bring a balanced translation to the text. The reason I say balanced is because when we read the King James, you heard where it says, this pleased the Jews. So, so it makes it seem like every Jewish person was pleased by that. <laughs> well, if you know anything about Jewish people, there's nothing that pleases every Jewish person. If you have two, <laughs> two Jews, you have three opinions. This is, it's not the way it is. It really was Judeans, and it was the people, the ruling party of Judea that was at the temple that were pleased by what was happening. Not all of the Jews. There were thousands of Jews that believed in Yeshua, followed him around, Mar, you know, were his followers, his disciples. So, but when you translate it the way that the Bibles, certain Bibles are translated, they choose words that bring about certain thoughts or understandings, like putting Easter into the text. The TLV did its best to not do that. Uh, so it it uses Hebrew words where only like shalom 
is a Hebrew word that can't be translated by one single English word. So it has shalom in there, and then it has in the glossary what that word means. But there's only about 50 Hebrew words that are used that way in the entire Bible, because we didn't want it to be overbearing and hard to use. Uh, but the names of key figures like Miriam and Yosef and, and Yaakov or James, the person you call James and, and so on, are Hebrew because their names actually had a meaning. And we wanted people to remember that Yeshua's family were Jewish people, not Roman people. Yeah. And, so, and uh, not English people or Europeans. Yeah. So, so that's important. Uh, it also uses the name Yeshua. It, it uses the Hebrew order of the books. Because the Christian Bible ends with the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> what? And but the did you not the, get that? The, I didn't get the joke. I'm sorry. Malachi, the Italian prophet. It's Malachi. Oh, okay. Malachi. All right, I'm, I'm with okay, you. Okay, so Thanks. where the Hebrew <laughs> Bible ends with Chronicles, Chronicles ends with a blessing on the Jewish people. You turn the page from Chronicles to Matthew, and it's one consistent story of God's blessing and provision. It leads us from the promise of Messiah to the Messiah, where in the Christian order of the books, it ends with a curse on Israel. Mm -hmm. So when you turn the page from a curse on Israel, you have the church replacing Israel and this new group of people that God is loving on and, and keeping rather than his chosen people and the ones he made a covenant with. So there's things that really are done in the text. For instance, uh, in your Bibles, the headings. You know that headings aren't anointed, right? <laughs> the headings are extremely dangerous, in my opinion. They are, because they make you think, for instance— They give you the main um, idea of the story. Right, they give you the idea. You read the heading, and then you read the text through yep. the lens of the heading. Uh, so Almost bad as those chapters things and verses. lead you to believe something. Like, for instance, in— uh, in in your Bible, in many Bibles where it talks about the Last Supper, it'll it'll talk about uh, you know establishing communion, or you know Jesus establishes communion or something like that. When he didn't at all do that, but that's interpreting the text instead of translating it, and it's interpreted by those divisions. So I know that's a long way to say the TLV is a really good translation <laughs> of the Bible. It's not perfect. Uh, but it is a very good translation. It's it's good translations of the Bible are about seventy percent accurate. And when I say accurate, I mean word for word accuracy. the The more direct translation, the more accurate a Bible is, the harder it is to understand. Because yep. when you go from language to language, you have to add words in order to make it make sense. Yep. Uh, and so, and if you read Greek, for instance, the Greek order of the words go in the order of the importance of the word, not in the order of understanding the word. So when Yeshua said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. In the Greek, the order of the words are, Father, forgive them not, they know what they do. <laughs> okay, but that's not what he was saying. It's just the order of how Greek words go. Right. So in order to, uh, if you just word for word translate down, it would change the actual understanding of the text. Uh, it would, it so, would change the meaning like a lot. <laughs> right. So then you end up with, on the other side of things, paraphrases or dynamic equivalents, which are translating phrases or thoughts rather than word for word. 
So a, a good Bible, like the, like the King James Version, which is a decent translation except for the mistakes, um, <laughs> the, the ASV, the NASB, the TLV, they're all about 60 to 70% word for word, uh, which is a good solid translation. Awesome. So we need to, that, that's all of that was fantastic. Um, you know, I like how you guys put the order of the Bible in a, in a way that actually makes more sense. Like pretty, pretty much. And I'm just, this is just very a quick way to kind of understand how the Bible's put together. Um, as far as, um, as far as regular Christians go, um, or Baptists, I guess, or Protestants, that was the word. Yeah, there you before. go. Um, Basically, you've got the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then after that, they pretty much go. Uh, I think it's like history, and then it hits. Uh, it hits. Um, uh, it hits like it has poetry and prophets, uh, major and minor prophets. Minor prophets are just the shorter books, and then if you look at the New Testament, it's basically um, uh, you got the four Gospels, and then it starts out with uh, Acts, which is written by Luke. And then all the books that Paul wrote, and then it changes authors after Hebrews and so on, um, which is a fine way to put it together. But if you don't know that, you might read something into that into that Bible that's not supposed to be there. Uh, whereas, right, and you might yeah. read the Bible as if the books were in chronological. Oh, order. yeah, they're not. Not even close. <laughs> because they're not. You know, Job happens way back in early Genesis. Right. So, so when we read Job late in the book, we don't people don't think this happened way back before Abraham. Well, the first book in the New Testament that was written was what, like First Thessalonians, and then James. I think James was the first one written. Those are way back in the New Testament. That's like uh, forty A.D. I think is the mm -hmm. earliest. Yeah. Well, and like First and Second <clears throat> Corinthians actually would be separated. They weren't back-to-back, -back. like Paul wrote one, handed it, and then wrote another one, or delivered right. that one right after. Well, he wrote one, <clears throat> and then he wrote two more, which is, yeah. the, we don't have the first one. Mm -hmm. um, what a shame. All right, so that that was that was excellent. Thank you, Rabbi. Hey, well, we've had a good conversation so far about Passover and different clothing and spots. We really <clears> have, <throat> and um, Rabbi's given us a lot of good information, some stuff that I didn't know about and some things I'd kind of had an idea about, but he kind he clarified a lot of yeah. things. Um, and I know there's still a lot more to come, so we're going to cut and make this yeah. a two part. Well, there, there's a lot, there's a lot in this first episode just because, I mean, it was just a pile of information. I mean, I myself, you know, and, uh, it, I need to go back and listen to it right. just to, just to hear, just to digest. So hopefully the, other people will do the same. Yes. And so, uh, come back for part two next week. We're going to continue this conversation and there's a lot more good stuff to come. Listening. For more information on DDS Faith Ministries, please visit our website at ddsfaith.org and follow us on social media. Thanks.